What's up, homies? It's This Week in Mormons, the <laughs> premier Latter-day Saint-focused podcast with news and intrigue and all kinds of fun stuff. We're glad you're here this week. Thanks for joining us. Please go to thisweekinmormons.com and wherever you're getting this podcast, if there's a subscribe button, like hit it, okay? So you'll always get an update when there's a new episode and you can listen to it and make it part of your life. Uh, I'm the founder of your show, Jeff Openshaw. And uh, I'm the Robin to Jeff's Batman, uh, Devin Thorpe. Hello, Dick Grayson. You might die <laughs> in some of those series. Especially if you're Zach Snyder. Good to be here. Yeah, how are yeah. you doing, Devin? What's going on? Thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. What is happening in Northern Florida? Um, uh, a lot of warm weather. Uh, you know, but I, we, this is our first summer here, and I'm thrilled that we are surviving it. Uh, I was a little nervous, a <laughs> little nervous, but uh, the bugs, you know, here it is July 11th as we're recording this. Is that July 11th? And and yeah. we've survived so far. No bugs have eaten us. Um, the alligator in the pond next door has not eaten us. Uh, and Still there, uh, though? That's what you're saying. It's still there, yes. Um, you know, I actually get out and run. I run in the evening now instead of running in the morning. Because uh, it's too hot in the morning, but when the sun is gone, I can go run and I enjoy it. So everything's, it's all good. It's all good. Cool. Yeah. Good deal. Well, good deal. All is fine here. Uh, busy weekend on the open shop front. We had my son's birth. My, my oldest son had his birthday. Uh, it's basically been an entire celebratory weekend for him. Through a party he? with he? Uh, he just turned seven. So Okay. Year to go. Many of you will, will remember seven years ago, if you heard the show, when Al frantically found an extra co-host and subbed in, uh, and they spent a long time wondering, just making fun of my kid's name and all kinds of stuff. Great episode. Maybe we'll link to it in the show notes. It was a good time. Yeah, you should link to that for sure. For sure. Um, that was fun. You had to so, bring us up to date. No, it was good. The kid had a party with some of his school friends. I got to wear a swim cap and goggles while they put shaving or, or whipped cream and goldfish on my head and allowed children with with like pull volume gu- squirt guns to shoot it off your head. And when you're at that, when you're seeing that at point blank range, like the glee on kids' faces to be able to do this to an adult without repercussions, negative repercussions, it was a, that was a lot of fun. So we had a, we had yeah. a good time with all that. So it's fun. And, and today awesome. actually, uh, we all went hiking out in Shenandoah National Park. I'd probably only been home for about an hour by the time you and I have been talking here. It just got cleaned up because I was a big stinky mess from hiking miles to see waterfalls and hoping to see bears, but never seeing them and all kinds of stuff. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. And we successfully wore out three little boys who are extremely tired and and that's and, great and grumpy. <laughs> so, we many of you can sympathize with this. We were, we were, we stopped over. If you've ever been to Shenandoah, um, over yeah. at Skyland, which is there, which is this like inn, this kind of hotel area that's actually up at around you know thirty five hundred feet up near the top of the park in the middle of it. And we stopped there because you can get ice cream from this little stand inside near the restaurant area, and so. We got ice cream, like we didn't get enough for all five of us, like each person to get a scoop. We just got three and shared a little bit. And my son, my oldest, the birthday boy, mostly just ate one by himself. And then the two other ones had to share chocolate. And because they were so tired and wiped out, this was this like vicious fight with screaming and crying. (laughs) I mean, this happens with kids. I was mostly just laughing because I'm watching them have like just full blown emotional breakdowns, like collapsing in tears because because the, they keep taking the chocolate from one another. And I know it's just because they're sorry. wasted. That's all. It was. No, I'm it was sorry. fine. It was not bad. I'm mostly to myself laughing and just looking at other passersby saying, "Sorry to you know interrupt your solitude up here in the mountains." Yeah, but, uh, that's beautiful country though. 
Beautiful. No, it was great. It was a really fun day. I'm, 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 I'm beat, but it was a good time, and it was, uh, it was nice, man. Glad you enjoyed Park. it. That was yeah. great. National parks are fun. Also fun, yes, friends. Are. Lots going on in the world of Latter Day Saint news. We got plenty to get into today. Uh, weird garbs, church musicians, new church restoration sites, uh, status of the church in some African countries, which is pretty interesting. Uh, and also, like, what language should we speak at church to say, not uh, among some other things. So I think we're going to have a fun little uh, discussion this week as we're ne- yeah. with you for the next little while. So we hope you'll stick with us the whole time. And with that said, I don't know how we should get into it, Devin. I mean, there's there's a lot going on, but I think I'll just go with with one of my favorite ones personally. As a musician who is not enough of a musician to be picked on for church service, <laughs> i.e. I, I don't play piano well enough to be needed for things. Uh, unlike my siblings who do and get tapped to do kind of things like this all the time. Uh, we've got an article here by Common Consent uh, from Gail Homer Berry, who talks about how she's served in ward and stake music roles since she was 12 years old. And if you are a musician who is capable of playing piano in particular, like you know the, the, the joy of serving, but you know the pain in that you're often called upon you know, ad hoc, without notice, assigned, all sorts of things with people just assuming you could do it because you're the musician with little regard to kind of the fact that this is also a skill set. This is something you want to regard as a calling, as a way of worship. Yeah. It's very easy to just be kind of called on and dumped on where when you are a musician in the church. And the article is essentially about that. I love the initial story she leads off with saying when she was 14, uh, she was walking out of church to go home and break her fast when the missionaries pounced on her and asked her to play piano for a baptism starting in 15 minutes. And her mom just kind of said, okay. And and then she uh, let her stay there. And she said during the baptism, she started to shake because she was hungry and her blood sugar was low because she was going to break her fast. And then, of course, the missionaries came and asked her to do the same thing again, even though she said, ne- she's like, next time, give me a week's notice so I can plan about this. And then, of course, missionaries love them. But being missionaries did not, heed that request and just came and like dumped on her again, you know, the next time around and just asked for some quick help. That's a whole different topic, but I have seen missionaries fail to have common sense and provide adequate time more times than I can possibly count. And it's, I don't know if it's an age thing, maturity thing, whatever, but that's obviously a thing. So the gist of it though, is kind of like she's, she's lecturing on, on standards we should have for musicians. And there's too many of these Tariq. She has 20 points overall. But I will read a few of them that I think are worthwhile and worth considering. And it kind of speaks to callings in general and, and how, we sh- how we should relate to folks and, and encourage them to serve. She stresses like mis- musicians are people, not machines. You cannot turn them on and off at will. Musicians being people get tired, hungry, and cranky. They can't just like perform all the time whenever you want. Um, prayer is wonderful and can enhance but not replace practice. Uh, I love that one because there I've seen many people just say like, well... Okay, I'm basically not a believer in, this is me, Devin, but I'm not a believer Mm -hmm. in the notion that like someone who's not prepared or doesn't know how to play is up there praying or playing and we will still feel the spirit through bad performances. Like maybe you could, but by and large, I think you're going to feel the spirit more from those who prepare and share their talents in a proper way than just giving everyone carte blanche to do what they want and winding up with iffy musical numbers that I don't think are always as great. Um, She talks about the different kinds of keyboardists to consider. Uh, all kinds of things. Basically, how to ask politely. Don't just assume. Don't just assign. Uh, that's one down the line where she talks about, like, you know, the stake president might just say, the stake president wants you to play organ for state conference. Please be on the stand 15 minutes early for the prelude. Or say, the stake president was wondering if you're available to play for the next state conference. If you are, can you please play 15 minutes of prelude music? 
that I've seen so much, and I'm sure you have in your life, Devin, that we just like, we want to assign people because we want to be bold. We want to give them an opportunity to serve. And sometimes we do mm-hmm. just want to assign people, but the verbiage you use can make a big difference in whether people are excited to participate or whether they feel put out and kind of taken advantage of in many ways with calling. So anyway, good article. We'll link to it. You should read it. But I like the reminders to kind of, you know, respect the musicians among us. I, we could respect all the callings among us, but the, the musicians among us are not just machines that you turn off and on. They are people who have talents and abilities that need to be considered and appreciated as we as we use them in our worship and serving the Lord. There we go. Yeah. This is, this is a great article, and uh, I really hope every bishop reads it. Um, and having served in, in as a counselor in a couple of situations, I wish I had read it before because it, it, it drives home repeatedly in thoughtful ways the, the ways in which we subtly um, insult and offend uh, the musicians in our wards uh, by giving them uh, too little credit and asking too much of them. And sometimes not giving them enough notice. Like I've seen it a lot yeah, when exactly. a, a leader might say they want to change the hymn. And sometimes even if it's enough, like you send them a text or say, hey, I think we want to change this one right now. Is that okay? That's fine. But you've seen it from the pulpit many times. Like, no, let's sing this hymn instead. Let's change it up. And too often we think the organist is someone who's like, oh, okay, I can just up and do that. Like, I, do I have that sight yeah. reading ability or do I know all the hymns? And luckily many do. But yeah. we forget that many organists who are given the hymns to play each week have worked with the music leader and they've worked with them in advance and said, here's the hymns we're going to play Sunday. And they've practiced those ones to, to Always. do. Yes. Yeah. And so if you, you mix that up and just drop changes on them, it's not, it shouldn't be expected that they can just roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. and so hard to remember. I, I say hard to remember. It, I have often forgotten it. And so I imagine that many other people have as well. Uh, that they assume that if you can play one hymn, you can play them all, which is kind of ridiculous because I uh, would pound the table and tell you I cannot play the piano, but there was a time I could uh, play a pretty good rendition of um, We Thank Thee, O God, for a Prophet. Nice. Um, And then the church uh, published uh, a new hymnal and changed the key, and I can no longer play uh, We Thank Thee, O God, for a Prophet in the new key. And uh, I gave up the piano. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it was it was it was beyond me to figure out how to play it. Anyway, um, yes, I should be much more sensitive as someone who you know studied piano for six years, uh, only to finally conclude that he couldn't play. Yeah, um, I, I see in the but, comments here a lot of like the general idea of like not being afraid to push back. Um. Which I, I think is good. Uh, I, I don't think it's like we want to be belligerent in the face of opportunities to serve, but it's a good reminder that sometimes we can like push back or say, "No, you haven't given me enough notice to do this." Like you need to be considerate about what we're doing. And I and I, yeah, uh, we were talking before this, and I kind of wonder if broadly, are we seeing more pushing back in general, not just music callings, but in the church? Like I know more people I feel like yeah. who are comfortable rejecting callings than they perhaps were. Many yeah, years I, I haven't been around as long as you, Devin, but um, yeah, yeah, I've been but around. Still, I, I get that impression. It's tough to know because there are differences in places and wards and circumstances. 
But it does feel to me like, in general, there is a little greater likelihood that if a bishop says to anyone in the ward, would you be willing to accept this calling? The odds of a yes are lower in 2022 than they were in, uh, say, 1972. Uh, I think probably a lot lower, not dramatically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I would say, you know, if I'm guessing, I'm going to put numbers to this and it's a little absurd, but I would say in 72, uh, if you said the bishop sat you down and said, would you be willing to serve as the as a primary teacher uh, that something like 75 percent of people would have said yes. And that in 19 or in 2022, 50 years later, the answer uh, probability of a yes is below 50 percent. You think it's that low? Yeah. Yeah. And primary is a difficult example because I think it's one of the it's one of the harder ones to accept for many because yeah. it's it's a difficult calling. It requires a lot of patience with kids. It's pretty thankless, honestly. And you're kind of siloed off too from the rest of the ward. That's a tough calling. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. I, I revere primary workers because they've yeah, they've got a lot on their plate. Yeah. It's tough to do. I've done it a couple of times. I mean, like when we first got married, it was almost like the default in the ward. If you were a newer couple who'd got married and moved in, they just put you in primary. It was just a thing. I'm sure yeah. my that our ward was not the only one to kind of do this. Right. Yeah. Uh, the upside was we were sort of with a lot of other newishly married types who didn't even have kids yet. And we all kind of we were kind of our own clique in that sense. Like we had a support yeah. group and we had friends that we stayed our friends and are still our friends today. Um yeah. Here 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 to the primary people. Here's one yeah. funny a comment. There's a lot of great comments on this article. And I just wanted to point this one out here that it says, our church's practice of having a chorister for congregational singing is unusual among churches. And that is kind of true. If you think about it. not every church does it that way. I mean, some churches have worship bands, which is a whole other thing. But yeah. we, it's not always common if it's not a choir singing to have a, a director up there conducting the music for the ward. Um, I mean, it's in the handbook. It mentions it. But it's also, I think, largely just born out of tradition. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, I, I wouldn't. I think you could have someone just playing organ and nobody conducting, and there are a few situations where something's going to go off the rails and the hymn will not be sung well or appropriately. I mean, half the time you have a battle between a chorister and the organist to make like if the, yeah. if, the if the chorister has like a certain tempo in mind and the organist isn't doing it, you're like, come on, your job is to follow me. Yeah. I, I am the conductor. Everyone follows the conductor. And um, you know, there's an interesting thing about tempo. Let me interject this. I'm sorry. I apologize. But no, uh, I, I was visiting an Episcopal uh, Christmas celebration with my son and daughter-in-law uh, a couple of years back. And I was shocked, shocked. I mean, literally shocked. I, I literally could not keep up with singing the Christmas carols at a proper tempo, right? Because you had professional musicians performing, right? And in, in the ward, we're accustomed to uh whoever is willing to play on sunday and our our tempos have slowed over the years uh, and in general i would say we play hymns slower uh, but i was just shocked i literally couldn't sing at pace with the uh with the hymns it was so fast that is fascinating i haven't thought yeah. about that yeah yeah i wish we had uh, i wish we were a little more forward thinking about our music in church too but that's a discussion for another day it, m- it might change you, i mean like we need you on your guitar in church for crying out loud uh maybe even the electric guitar let's bring some energy 
to bring I some would, passion, I would some love joy to, to the yes. sacrament meeting. I would love to rock for Jesus. I'm down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about that as being somehow disrespectful, but uh, what that is, is inclusive. Question. Uh, can I like play me. Master of Puppets like Eddie from Stranger Things? Can I do that? I don't know. You don't, it, well, I don't know what I, that song is. I should know. I don't, but I don't I'm not cool like you, Jeff. I won't respond to it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have to, I'm going to have to listen to this and look well, it up later. Well, Devin, I, I think you are aware of this, but I'm hopeful that, with that there was that handbook update a number of months ago. It might have even been late last year uh-huh. uh, that, that changes the, some of the rules around music. It used to have very expressly forbidden types of instruments, and those are gone now. Yeah. It's, it's much more up to Bishop's oh. interpretation and feeling about what's appropriate. Oh, that's good. And so I think well, it'll take dude, time. It might open jam. up doors eventually over time for people to be more comfortable with other yeah. types of music. Because you can do all kinds of things. Kurt and I were even talking on the podcast the other week that like, there's nothing that says even sacrament meeting has to be structured the way it is. It encourages you to follow a certain, for, a certain maybe format, but it's not even says it's required. You could start yeah. with special musical numbers while people are walking in. You can mix it up all and do whatever you want. Yeah. You could start with speakers. You could you could have a speaker, the announcements, then the sacrament, then then another speaker, and then yep. a musical number. But do whatever you want. Then in, then in the meeting, you could do anything you want. That All is right. uh, that is a good good reminder, and Thank I'm you. thrilled uh, about that because I would love to see uh, more guitars in church. I think I've I've seen maybe in in 57 years I can remember maybe four guitars in sacrament meeting and. I remember beforehand, I was in the ward council and the bishop said, there's going to be a guitar in sacrament meeting. I don't want to hear about it. Please do not give me any grief. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing heavily, but that was his message uh, un, unequivocally. Because, uh, you know, that was back in the olden days before three months ago when the, the handbook clearly said no guitars in sacrament meeting. Yeah. But, I, you know, I've, so I've I think they're too. great. I think a yeah. tasteful, like I've seen like a tastefully done, uh, like classical guitar duo up there playing a hymn. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, Why yeah. would you not want that? That's great. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Okay. Okay. So we, I had to grab something here. Evan's uh, choice. Let, let's talk about Joseph Smith's house in Kirtland. Uh, um, about a decade ago, the church bought a home that had been owned by Joseph Smith back in the Kirtland era of the church. He lived there for about five years. The church bought it for $128,000. Oh, and they've spent nothing. Nothing. Uh, and they've spent the last decade uh, largely trying to figure out what the home originally looked like, or maybe not originally, but when Joseph Smith lived in it. And I think they feel like they've got that figured out as much as they can. And so they are now in the process of restoring it. So they stripped off a big addition that had been added to the back and they're changing the roof line to make it conform to what it was originally. Uh-huh. Um, and just generally, I think it's a great addition to what is already, you know, spectacular in the Kirtland area. Um, you know, the church has really done a lot uh, with uh, the Kirtland and uh, Palmyra area um, historical sites over the years. And I, I say this over the years because I'm I've now visited them multiple times across time uh, and seen some big changes. And so, uh, you know, it's sort of like, you know, I don't want to dr- dramatize, but it's it's almost like uh, Disneyland. I mean, it's that level of professionalism, just yeah. fabulous stuff. So you go and it's, 
free and it is absolutely professional in every every respect. It's good Great to see stuff. them doing that. I guess in my mind, I don't ever think of Kirtland like having the same level of impact as places like uh, like Palmyra or Nauvoo or anything around Kansas City, you know, Independence, wherever, Liberty. Um, I'm, it's glad to see them investing even more in the Kirtland area. I haven't been up there. You know, I haven't been to Kirtland. I haven't yeah. been to the Temple or anything. Um, I have to think, I, I often wonder how often the church has lobbied the community of Christ to sell the Kirtland Temple back. Uh, yeah or just sell it to us. We've purchased some other things from them in recent years. Hans Mill was out of our possession until the past handful right. of years, and now we have it. So, But the Kirtland Temple, that is, that's one of those kind of crown jewels. I mean, that's one of those things yeah. where I imagine they won't even make it in a press release. This would come out of like, this would be President Nelson announcing it near the end of General Conference and saying, right. before yeah. I announce new temples, I'd like to note that we have successfully purchased the Kirtland Temple from yeah. the community. Like that, it's yeah. that level, I think, that would happen. Yeah. I think but, the way it's got to happen is with a, a third-party intermediary. Someone's got to buy it and donate it to the church. Because that's a that, fair point. There, are, where's all the all the billionaire Mormons? I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know what the rate would be for the Kirtland Temple. Like, I'm sure there's a market rate, but then there's a huge inflated markup because the community of Christ would know how yeah. badly we want it. So I get yeah. that, but it's not yeah. a massive building. Um, yeah. It's not made it, of all the finest materials like like things today. Because you know the average t- you know yeah. temples cost a lot of money if you build new ones today. So I'm yeah. curious what it would actually cost, like market value. Yeah, I I think it would be a big number for just because of the premium that you're talking about. Yes, but but I think it is a number that is within the reach of any billionaire. That's that's my feeling. It would because the Church of uh, Community of Christ is sufficiently small that. Uh, it would not have to be a billion dollars. It would be something under a billion dollars that would make them go, holy crap, we could really think of all the good we could do with that money, uh, especially if we are promised continued access to the temple or something. Yeah. Uh, so let's check this out. This is a website. I don't know how accurate this website is. This is just the CPI inflation calculator, officialdata.org. Mm-hmm. But the Kirtland Temple was dedicated in 1836. And it, they said it cost about forty thousand dollars in eighteen thirty six dollars. Inflated to today, that says it's only it says it is one point two five. I said billion million dollars. Yeah, yeah, which still seems shockingly low. Temples cost way yeah. more than that when they build them new today. Yeah. Ten times that, if not yeah. more. Um, yeah. Even little ones like Kirtland. Yeah, I mean that's what it costs. Historical stuff, but I have to imagine. I can't see that. I, I mean. Anyways, it's just total speculation on our part. I just have no idea what yeah, the community yeah. of Christ would say it's actually worth on a for uh, a fair yeah. market value, but I can't imagine. I think it's a nine-figure number. Nine yeah. figures? Yes. Nine figures. Yes. I want to be clear how many nine is. You think we're talking in the hundreds of millions of dollars yes. To, yes. to obtain the Kirtland Temple. I yes. don't think it is worth that much money. I could understand the no. desire to push us to have that much money, yeah. to spend that much money. Yeah, I think that I think the community of Christ won't part with it unless we, someone, and that's why the church can't do it, right? The church, the LDS Church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, could easily stroke that check, but it would they would there'd be too much criticism. It has to be a wealthy donor that steps up and says, "I will pay so much money that the Church of Christ can't say no." The, church, the community of Christ uh, can't say no, and then Shazam that temple becomes property of the church by virtue of that uh, rebel billionaire donating it. That's, that's, I've long believed that is true. 
Well, according to this other website here, moneyinc.com, mm-hmm. don't take it with a grain of salt, but this is, this mm-hmm. lists the 10 richest Mormons in the world. You've got the founder okay. of JetBlue, David Nealman, who's worth $400 million. Yeah. Uh, Carlos Wizard Martins, who I don't know who that is, but uh, yeah. he's worth a billion. John Huntsman's a billion. Jim Jannard's worth a billion. Roger W. Sant is worth $1.7 billion. Richard Taylor Peary. 1.7, Richard Marriott, 1.8 billion, Jay Willard Marriott, you know, 1.9, uh, Sid Bass, 1.9, and James L. Sorensen, who uh, develops and markets medical devices. He sold the company Abbott Labs, which you might have heard of if yeah. you tried to buy baby formula in recent years. Yeah. Um, he sold it and made billions in the process and has Sorensen Media, but he's allegedly worth $3.4 billion. That, he's, that, he has now passed away. This is old okay. data. That's old data. This Let's is, see if yeah. uh, we've got one from 2021, The Richest Latter-day Saints, according to okay. uh, This Is Weekend Mormon. I'm sorry. It's still listed. He must have barely passed away. We said he died in no. 2008, but he was worth $4.5 billion, And most of the other ones you've got, yeah, yeah. the ones we... Uh, already read and I don't see much in the way of any very And then the guy that just bought the jazz, uh, Ryan Smith, right? That's his name? I think so, He's yeah. a billionaire. He's yeah. a billionaire. Yeah. And I think, I'm pretty sure he's LDS. I think he's still a church-going member. And then we've got, you know, like Willard Mitt Romney, who's worth about half a million, half a billion, according mm-hmm. to more recent estimates. So folks, what we're saying is we could even <laughs> start it as some kind of a consortium, a nonprofit, That's something, right. you know, buy the Kirtland Temple. And if, who doesn't want the tax write-off? Right, I mean, this is yeah. this could be done. Why yeah, is this so hard for done. you people? Make our dreams a reality. Anyone listening, in the sound of my voice, one person who is probably not listening about this is a <laughs> uh, a, a wonderful man from the country of Mali named Yasamake. Longtime listeners of the show might have heard that name before of Yasamake. Who is Yasamake? He is or Samake, I believe. I've always said it incorrectly. Um, he is from the West African nation of Mali, which is largely an Islamic country, but he is a convert to the church. And it is by most markers, I think back when we first, he ran for president, I think back in, it was either 2010 or 2012, early days of TWIM that we talked about. I think this. maybe both, but I might have be been wrong. both. He believed he and his family were the only Latter day Saints in the country at the time. He, he had experienced, he joined when he was stateside. And obviously now because mm-hmm. of this, he has ties to Utah. He spent much of COVID actually stuck in Utah, unable to return to Mali. Long and short of it, though, um, he got back in the country. Mali Mali's a bit of a sad story because it had been a pretty successful-ish democracy in terms of like peaceful transitions of, of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they had a military coup a couple of years ago, and it forced the con- their controversial president to resign. Um Sometimes you have military coups who say this is a mess, so we want to have free and fair elections, and they hop in and and do that, and then step off again. But sometimes a military coup is just a you know it can go any way when you, a military coup happens. Allegedly, they'll be having another election in twenty twenty four, and uh, he announced his candidacy once more to run from president, which still makes me hopeful that the world's first head of state, who would be a Latter Day Saint, uh, could somehow come from Mali of all places. How awesome would yeah. that be? Just like. Yeah. Yep, we we make all this big deal when Mitt Romney runs for president, and like you know, one third of Republicans are uncomfortable voting for a Latter Day Saint for president. Yeah, uh, for a number, and probably Democrats too, for that matter. But no, we're just going to get the guy in Mali, the the Muslim country, <laughs> and he'll be the one. So I, I yeah. know that he didn't pull super great back when he ran before. So I think we like yeah. to jump on this as a story because it's interesting to us as Latter Day Saints. But I don't yeah. think he's as much of an actual figure in Malian politics as we would like to assume. I've got to think his name is building in, in recognition. I, I met him uh, back in 2012-ish. Yeah, it was 2012, 
for 2013. Seems like a really nice guy. Um, he, we, we have not stayed in touch, uh, but he seems like a sharp guy. <laughs> I mean, so this is how he did here. So for he ran on the 2013 Malian presidential election. Was not one of the top vote getters by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you actually look down here. He is for his party for civic and patriotic action. Uh, he received in the first round 0.58% of the vote. 0. 0.58. 0.58% of the vote. 0.58% yeah. of the vote. Whereas in the first round, a lot of countries do runoffs. We don't do those as much in the United States. Yeah. And that like the top two vote getters, when there's a lot of people running, will then proceed mm-hmm. to a runoff when it's just those two. Uh, but yeah. in this case, you had the top two vote getters were almost 40%, 20%. And then everyone else was way down there. So he, Mr. Samake was not uh, was a, 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 a major legit. force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, cool stuff though. That is interesting, kind of kind of related to politics. Of course, the church's th- thoughts on abortion are top, top of mind right now because of the Supreme Court's recent ruling on abortion, ending the Roe v. Wade uh, ruling that had created that, defined the right to an abortion during the first 24 weeks as a constitutional right. Oh, did that happen? Um, Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, it did. Yes. I'm so, uh, yes, of course. So uh, the. I don't think Devin knows that I'm yes, joking. I'm like, yes, I, didn't, it, I did not miss it. Yeah. It's, well, you, you oversold it, or maybe you undersold it. <laughs> Sorry. I, I apologize. No, but, no, yeah, no. So I'm dry humor all the way. So don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so the the church did announce uh, new new clarity on. It's thinking about abortion. Yes. And it, it offered uh, kind of two new uh, elements of guidance that were called out in an article in the Tribune, at least. And the first is that members of the church may, they're not required to or expected to, but they may engage in political action uh, in order to protect life. Note that it does not say whose life is to be protected and religious liberty. So um, we can be engaged in political discussions around this. And it appears, at least to my reading, that the language does not, strictly speaking, uh, put Mormons on one side or the other of the issue. And then uh, the other thing that I thought was a a bigger change. Uh, the article in the Tribune uh, mentioned this only in passing, but I think this is a, a very big deal. The, the, the policy of the church has been something close to, I forget the language, but something close to that if you're going to have an abortion, a woman is expected to counsel with the bishop beforehand. And uh, the new language is that she may uh, counsel with her bishop. Uh, yeah. And so there's no requirement, which I think is good, because when uh, a Latter-day Saint woman chooses to have an abortion, um, generally speaking, that's not going to be a sin. She's going to be choosing that because the pregnancy is failing, because her health is at risk, because it was uh, incest or rape, uh, but because it qualifies. And, and there should be no need uh, expressly for a woman to to counsel with her bishop to not sin. Um, but it, it 
should also be welcome in the case that a woman wants to counsel with her bishop to have the mm-hmm. comfort that might come from having the bishop say, well, yes, I agree. Uh, your life is in jeopardy. You need to have this pregnancy terminated, uh, for instance. So I, I, I thought that was an interesting and meaningful, meaningful uh, change in the, the policy that shows greater respect to women in the church. I like that. You also linked, yeah. before we were talking about this, some um, a little bit of an older, well, not super old, but from like last two weeks, asking, mm-hmm. did these LDS women have abortions? Uh, because the definition of abortion can be tricky. It's not, you know, it's easy yeah. to kind of get sucked into the whole idea that it's like, yeah, well, you know, you're willfully terminating a pregnancy because you don't want it or this or that. But sometimes, and depending on the state you're in and all number of criteria, an abortion can mean a lot of things that are not what you might typically expect. I mean, and, yeah. and that, can, that can be very tricky. And that's where we get, it gets very tricky right now in the United States with where this is going, where, where we might yeah. wind up on this issue on a state-by-state basis. Uh, and we don't exactly know. But some of these stories yeah. are just gut-wrenching, honestly. Yeah. Like I, like this woman of Emily Miller who found herself kind of in this in-between place. She was in Ohio, she, or Idaho rather. She was six, 19 weeks pregnant when she discovered her and her husband's prayed-for baby had a form of dwarfism that was later confirmed to be lethal. And she still hung on to the pregnancy because she couldn't just like make that decision to essentially have to end the, the baby's life, the fetus's life, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the child's development began to put her own life at risk. And so he was born eventually and given oxygen and he lived for 32 minutes. And it says, you know, like right here that they were, they held him. He got a blessing from his father before he passed on. And many might see that like, well, that's a, a touching story of a very difficult situation. But what you have to remember is given the time frame when this happened, in some places that's also considered an abortion and that could become illegal uh, in yeah. some instances. And it varies place to place. Or this this other story sure. afterwards of this woman, Julie Michaud, who basically by the time frame and by the choice, essentially aborted the kid, but the kid was like still alive and they did everything to keep it alive. But the, so her daughter was lived for seven months. So in this weird place, she considers that she aborted the child and then it still lived for seven months and it's like well like what do you say to that and you just have to remember yeah. that there's, there's a lot of shading going on here a lot of shades in between it's not black and white yeah uh, and it's and, and it's hard on on the cheeky side of it this has nothing to do with latter-day saints but i don't know if you saw in the news the other day because of texas's new law a woman in texas took the high occupancy lane on the freeway and got a ticket for being by herself. And then she's, she's suing back and saying, no, under Texas law, this is like a living human with me. Right. And so there's two of us in this car, as far as the state of Texas is concerned. And yeah. so I am suing to, I'm, you can see it being kind of like a, right. you know, a, a clearly this is, this is a, 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 a political thing, but it's a, it's a publicity it's, stunt in a way for the issue, yeah. but it does yeah. raise questions, right? Like yeah, I could right. also see the other report. This is so, so uh, fraught. Um, uh, you know, the, those who are most um, strenuously pro-life point out correctly that there are very few abortions each year because of rape or incest. Yeah. Uh, but it is heartbreaking to think about forcing them to have uh, a child, and there is a widely reported. Though I haven't checked the documentation to to see if it's legitimate, but I read uh, repeated references to a ten-year-old girl whose father impregnated her uh, in a state that no longer allows abortion. 
And so in her state, she would, she was expected to carry that child. I, yeah. I, th- I, I understand that what has ha- happened is she did leave the state to get an abortion, but uh, just heartbreaking to think that, you know, you would expect a 10 year old girl to have a child that was conceived as a result of uh, incest. I mean, just yeah, which is unthinkable. To- it's, it's unthinkable in and of itself, and it's beyond me. There could not, there would be areas where there would not be carve outs for that, which yeah, is just, yeah. which is just yeah. crazy. I mean, yeah, it's just absolutely nuts. Um, if we can pivot to be on the somewhat cheekier side of family yes. life and planning and things like that, <laughs> yes. uh, I'm simply loving that this this is this is not even like a story of anything that happened. This popped up in my Facebook feed, so I shared it with our twin audience from the There's the Nauvoo Supply Company. They sell all yeah. sorts of, of various textiles and other wares. Yeah. Like um, the CTR are, hat. That are churchy themed. You can get all kinds of different things. And the one that popped up in my feed was a shirt that is the proclamation t-shirt for the proclamation on the family. And they took the family proclamation and plastered it onto a t-shirt repeating itself. The whole thing. The whole thing. And like repeating when it yeah. ends, it just starts again and just carries over the whole shirt. And you can have that that shirt. If that's something you're you're into, um, yeah, and I think that's 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 fine. Uh, <laughs> sure, to each their own, I suppose. So of course, I went yeah. to their website to find any of the other things. I can't quite peg down the nature of this company, to be perfectly honest. Uh, as far as is it like, is this done in a very tongue in cheek way? Especially because they have a lot of Brigham Young paraphernalia that shows Brigham Young wearing sunglasses and looking kind of sassy. You can get swim trunks that have Brigham as one of our. Uh, as one of our followers wrote, um, I had more concern about wearing swim trunks with Brigham Young on my thigh and back end than anything <laughs> else. And so that part of it, I don't yeah. fully get. I'm not. I, I'm. I'm mixed up here as far as are they thinking they are funny? Are they not funny? Is it supposed to be funny? Are they super hardcore in the church? Is this a sincerity play? I have no idea. But yeah. <clears throat> and they're really leaning into Brigham Young with the baseball cap and the sunglasses. Yeah, I like the forever young uh, <laughs> sticker there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zion um, noise makes um Psalm yeah. one hundred. Maybe they're just trying to be cool. They're just being cool mo's. Randomly, you can also buy an Imagine Dragon shirt. But it's funny. That makes like, sense. Oh no, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It says Imagine Wagons, eighteen forty seven <laughs> Mormon Pioneer Trek shirt. I got that. I'm sorry. I missed that. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually. Yeah, I. Uh, what's the name of the lead singer for Imagine Dragons? Dan Reynolds. Dan Reynolds. I had him in my house, and I interviewed him for my podcast right in my own living room. That's uh, cool. That was one of my cool ones. Yeah, that was that was a uh, that was a fun one to do. Well, well, uh, there you go. So, so folks, so, um, yeah. if Sorry. you want to, want to buy these things, I should probably irrelevant. I should probably set up like affiliate links and things like that, so you can buy stuff from the Nabu Supply Company, which I've yet to do. So, yeah. just do you do do you. Enjoy you stay up late. Stay up late tonight, Jeff. Get that ready. <laughs> um, you, uh, Jeff, had suggested we chat about this Anglicization of uh, Anglicization uh, yeah, of the church, uh, yeah. which is an interesting thing. Uh, they tr- the article attributes the beginning of this trend uh, to uh, President. Uh, Harold B. Lee, right? Let's, let's back up for one second, though. Define Anglicization. Like, what are we talking about? What trend? So the the trend of 
doing everything in the church in English. Ah. Uh, and so it comes back to, yeah, Harold B. Lee in 1973 said at a conference in Munich, how helpful it would be if everyone now speaking your own native tongue would learn to speak English. Then you would be able to talk with us more clearly and we could understand you better than we have done. And, you know, you pointed out that there are lots of ways to think about this. And one, of course, initial reaction is to think about how selfish that is. But at the same time, it is impossible to expect the prophet of the church to be able to speak every language or to assume that there will be effective translation always available. And so encouraging the saints to learn English, uh, to be proficient in order to speak, you know, church church English well enough to raise the issues uh, with general authorities. I think that's not altogether crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've all experienced some of the benefits of that traveling around the world. Uh, if any of us have served missions or otherwise traveled and visited Latter-day Saints, like, you know, uh, I, I've spent time in the uh, church office in Moscow and uh, it's really nice that even the Russians there generally speak English and you can have a conversation with them. Yeah. We're, so. we're very spoiled for choice uh, as North Americans, as citizens of the United States, because just not just because of our church itself, but you know, just the realities of global politics and the global economy and all number of things. English is an extremely valuable language to know downside to it. Of course, unrelated to church as well is that a lot of Americans uh, were pretty bad at learning other languages because I think we've been able to like just just relax and say well everyone else is going to learn ours why do I have to try yeah uh, which is funny because nowadays if you can't speak Mandarin you often get a lot of competitive advantages in the business world and also oh, in, the yeah. political, in the political world yeah. I can't tell you how many jobs there are yeah. and it's much easier to get them if you have Arabic Russian or Mandarin proficiency you're a much hotter target for employment than you are if you speak something like Spanish like I do you know how many people speak Spanish yeah. like I'm not Everybody. It's nice that I, it's nice that I do but I am not a novel product here yeah. or anything like yeah, that yeah it doesn't it does not alter our career trajectory because you and I speak Spanish but it, it does would not. if we spoke I, I, Chinese I keep hoping if Catalonia ever gets its independence though and then we have to open an embassy in Catalonia then you're, the, my, the number you're, of Americans who speak Catalan much smaller. I'm really hoping I can hop on that bandwagon somehow. There you go. Part, you know, make me the, the don't make me yeah. the, the charge to fare or something. Uh, I am with you on all the points you're making. This article is interesting because yeah, it talks about the point of learning English. It cites the whole. There's a section in Preach My Gospel about learning your mission language, and it's there's one co- subsection called Learn English. If you do not speak English, you should study it as a missionary. Like this will bless you during your mission and throughout your life. Learning English. Will help. Will enable you to help build the Lord's kingdom in additional ways, and will be a blessing for you and your family. Many of the suggestions found in the chap- chapter will help you. Some of the verbiage there is kind of interesting, though. Like it's it's essentially implying if you learn English, and you know, it'll help you build the Lord's kingdom in additional ways. Like it's basically saying you have a better chance of serving in the church and other capacities down the line if you yeah. learn English. I.e., if you can learn English, you might have a higher likelihood of becoming a general authority. Like it's or even just a bishop. Or even a bishop. I I think it's truly implying that. But I am with you. I think there's great value practically of learning English. Of course, the church does a lot of work in English at the same time. And and many large-scale organizations, like how they they still have a main language. Sure, multinational corporations might have people speaking different languages. That's the point because they want to function in different countries around the world. You need native speakers for those languages. But you better believe top executive meetings, if they're U.S. based or whatever, are probably still in English. Like if you, this is not abnormal 
uh, just for the church. Uh, yeah. So like, I totally get it at the same time. I know there's been, there's lots of promises made and things that you'll be able to hear the gospel in your own language. So you'll be able to worship in your language and you should be able to worship in your own language, perhaps with no expectation that you learn the mother tongue of HQ, you know? <laughs> That's right. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and so like, very- I, corporate kind of sounding policy, isn't it? Yeah. But I like what you said. The point is like the prophet, of course, can't be expected to learn every language. Our current prophet, notwithstanding, who actually has far better language abilities than most. Yeah. Uh, That all makes complete sense. It does make me wish a little bit. Like I loved that stretch with President Monson when only for two different conferences, they allowed speakers to speak in their native tongue if they were doing it. Mm -hmm. The rest of us got subtitles. Uh, I've long found it interesting. They experimented with that, then clearly dropped the idea. Yeah. But for me, for me, that worked. I, I thought yes. to myself, it's not hurting me to read. I, I get it. It's okay. Okay, fine. If my kids are watching and they don't read well enough yet, if they're too young, maybe they're not getting enough from it, whatever. But yeah. how much more valuable is it to show them like, yeah, this this wonderful person yeah. speaking right now. Doesn't speak English. No, it's from Bolivia. And they're speaking yeah. in Spanish to us because that's their native language. And that's how they're comfortable expressing themselves in the gospel. And I think that's that's... Yeah. That's great. I mean, it was just like I've been in, I was in a ward council meeting at one point and we had someone there who was a, a, a counselor in one of the presidencies there because the president wasn't there. Asked when, if uh, this individual could pray, said, sure, but it's okay if I do it in Spanish, I'd be more comfortable that way. And like, sure, of course, we're who wouldn't be happy to accommodate that? But yeah. you remember this, like, hey, this is someone who's lived in the States for decades. But at the end of the day, that person is still more comfortable in the native tongue when it comes to things as sensitive and dear to the heart as worship. And I don't think anyone's dissuading people from that, but I could understand sort of the idea that, well, you know, is there kind of a wink and a nod like learn English? Yes, it will benefit you professionally. It will benefit you throughout your life to learn English. It might benefit you as far as church service. I get it. I think you and I both, I think we're very much on the same page here. Yeah. I think um, there's a, a, another point that, of, of context for this, and that is to remind ourselves that probably Latter-day Saints as a, a, a community in the United States have done more uh, language training of non-English languages than any other population in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think we need to put this policy encouraging non U.S. based on English speakers to learn English uh, in the context of we have asked Latter-day Saints around the world to learn a second language. Uh, and for the folks in the United States, that's that second language is obviously not English. And so we're doing we're doing both. Uh, we're not just asking yeah. non-Americans to learn English. So I think no, it's just a, just a good, good bit of context or for this discussion because yeah yeah it, and there's some a lot of points in this article this article's over at times and seasons and there's a lot of thoughtful points to look into one that had stuck out at me uh real quick mm-hmm. was the idea of how we use social media especially because i mean think about this i served my mission in spain and there are mission groups on facebook the mission groups even though we served in spain the mission groups are uh moderated or whatever largely by like american missionaries all the work that's essentially done the comments are in english on the page about a mission in spain and mm-hmm. essentially even the native spanish speakers who might still join the group are commenting in english to everyone else and when you think about that that is kind of like a hilarious irony i mean this is a group for missions in spain shouldn't everything we're doing just be in spanish on principle just because yeah. of how it was uh 
but we don't because the lion's share of the missionaries who served there were Americans and, and are now speaking English normally throughout their lives. And that is the language they're interacting with on Facebook for the most part. And, you know, you see how, you know, the dominoes kind of fall in that sense. But it's worth just remembering some of these things and being kind of uh, kind of sensitive uh, of to them. Uh, the one thing I worry about, of course, is the church stressing how we're not an American church. But then I see the optics of, yeah, but you're going to want to learn like American English to kind of be able to roll with this. And if you become a general authority, you might have to become a U.S. citizen. But that's more for the practicalities of travel. But still, like, like yeah. Uchtdorf is a general is a. Of course, then again, I think the German passport uh, gets you into more places now than an American passport does when they do those rankings yeah. of of passports and how good oh, they really? are. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, that's that's a topic for another time. Yeah, you can that's go more cool. places because if you're an American. Can't go to North Korea, you know. But if you're like a passport, you know, I mean, the church has a lot to do in North Korea. Apparently, we got to open it up. Yeah, got to get yeah. in. All right. Okay. Um, well, let's see. I guess this next one's on me. Cool news coming out of the Gambia. You might remember a few months ago we talked about this tiny country in Africa. Devin, I know you're 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 aware of African nations. This is a yes, a bigger part. I've of never who been you to are. Gambia, but I've been to a few, and I think. F- a few people probably have been to Gambia. If you look at a map in far West Africa, kind of like, you know, on the Western Africa, it kind of curves down and kind of concave like that. Like it swings down through Morocco, mm-hmm. almost flattens out. So the coast is perfectly aligned, you know, uh, East, West, then swings down. So it faces South along the Gulf of Guinea and all that. And all those countries there, you know, Cote d'Ivoire, Sierra Leone, all that kind of stuff and going all the way to Nigeria. So Gambia is like right there in the middle and it's completely surrounded by Senegal. Like many things in Africa, its borders are the result of European colonialism in that the French uh, colonized what is now Senegal and the British took everything along the Gambia River, just the river, which is why we have the Gambia today. So this basically, I think the, I've can't look at this. If you look it up, it's pretty nuts. Like the entire country, I think at its maximum width doesn't go more than like 20 miles one way or the other from the river itself for the whole country. Yeah. It's a little windy, little little finger of a country. Uh, back in February, Elder Christofferson dedicated the country for the work of the gospel. And the church just announced in the past week that the first branch has been organized uh, in the Gambia. I don't know if, the, and it's in Banjul, which is the capital city. Uh, but they organized this branch on June 10th with a handful of local members. And I just think it's super cool this is happening. Uh, the Gambia is a overwhelmingly Muslim country. You know, it's kind of past that line, that cultural line in Africa where things switch from being majority Christian to majority Muslim. And uh, so I think it's all the more interesting, of course, when the church can thrive and have government recognition. I don't know every in and out of what the government is letting us do, but organize a branch and hopefully have the members there be free to worship as they may, which is awesome. Yeah, that is fascinating. Fascinating. Well, it, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit relevant to at least uh, jump into. I thought the church did a great job, or not the church, the Tribune, Salt Lake Tribune did a great story about the church in Egypt, and I thought it was uh, it was written by uh, Peggy Fletcher Stack, who I think of as a friend. Uh, great journalist. She's been doing, covering the church for the Tribune for something like 30 years. Um, and uh, it's just a fascinating story about the one LDS branch in Cairo. And, uh, it, you know, kind of the ebbs and flows, tying yeah. it to uh, politics and revolution. And at one point, at, at the smallest, they said there were just three members who attended uh 
the, the smallest meeting during one of these periods of violence uh, in recent years. But but uh, it's been as big as 90 people and it has persisted there for, what did it say? Decades. I can't remember how long, but it's been many decades. It's been a it's long been time. There. I mean, the yeah. article mentions, you know, Orson uh, Hyde stopped in there on, when he was traveling to dedicate the Holy Land, but he did not organize a branch or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very interesting. What what fascinates me about this in particular, and the article mentions like we don't have official recognition in Egypt. There are other Christian denominations, and the thing you have to remember: Egypt is about ten percent Christian. Um, the overwhelming majority yeah. are co- are Coptic Christians, but there are other Christian movements in the country as well. Uh, as far as I'm, I'm not the authority on this in terms of how much regulation there might be on the Christian side. But when your country is 10% Christian and has a, a lengthy tradition of Coptic Christianity, mm-hmm. I think you have a little bit of political weight behind you. Even if the rest of the country is, you know, about 90% Sunni Muslim, um, yeah. you still have, you're throwing your weight around a little bit more than if you're a tiny minority of like, you know, 0.5% of the country might be some minority uh, religion. So it is interesting right, to me right. that the church hasn't grown beyond that. It's cool that we have a branch there. Yeah, but it seems like we have at least some fertile ground for Christianity in the first place within Egypt. Yeah. It'd be cool to see more happen along that. This is a fun article, and it's pretty good length too. Yeah, it's a long piece. Uh, clearly, Peggy and her husband Michael, who took, who is a brilliant and professional photographer, and took the pictures for the article, went went there to do the story. Yeah. Uh, and so this is uh, a meaty piece, uh, great piece. Well worth your read, folks. Some of you, folks, yeah. I know some of you yeah. listeners, will say like, "Well, it's from the trip, so I won't read it because the trip has it out for the church." Or yada yada yada. And this is the kind of stuff that's really interesting, and you can see the church making or Deseret News doing a piece on something similar, but mm-hmm. it would have a little more fluff to it, probably inevitably. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. is good. I don't think this is just like a very matter of fact approach to the church's history in Egypt. What's going on? What could yeah. be going on? Et cetera, et cetera. You know, and what hurdles we face. I think yeah. it's awesome. And that's one thing yeah. I love Deseret News, but they don't often write about like the hurdles we'll face other than, you know, just like getting more faith and things like that. Like this is yeah. like talks about the real issues because we don't want to poke yeah. the government and have them not back us up. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's a cool you're article, right. Devin. I'm glad you found this one. Well, yeah, we're going to leave you this week with some interesting news out of Mexico. Service missions in Mexico are doubling to quote, meet current needs unclear what exactly that means what the current needs could be but out of the church's mexico newsroom we have learned that the uh, area presidency for mexico is now expand tr- doubling from three uh service mission areas to six to cover the whole country you've got uh north northwest mexico northeast mexico <coughs> west mexico central east and then southeast mexico and the, the, the geography is just kind of divvied up in whatever way makes sense for that as you might imagine yeah but it's cool that they're doing this. I mean, this the six service areas overlap the existing 32 teaching missions. I love the point of this is I love the church is taking going out of its way to illustrate that service missions aren't just like missionaries who are just in the same boundaries as the other, the proselytizing mission, for example. It's its own kind of its own entity in many ways, doing different things. And also the article goes out of its way to stress that missionaries called as service missionaries go through the same process to receive their mission calls as other young missionaries around their world. Their, their calling is determined through inspiration by a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in consultation with the applicant stake presidents. You might remember this a few years ago, the church announced this, this subtle shift, but a very important one because we've often had real missions, proselytizing missions, and then service missions are 
something something you do if you can't do the proselytizing mission. We're trying to get away from that and give a lot of weight to the value of a service mission. It could be different. You often still live at home. You know, you might still have a yeah. you might still have a regular job. You do different things, but it is still a mission with a mission president. You still fill out papers. You go through all the same things because you are to be considered a missionary in the fullest sense of the word. It's just that your focus is on a different area than strictly teaching the gospel to others. And I think that's great. Yeah. And we've got to like lean on that and do everything we can not to stigmatize other types of missions. They're all missions. They're all missions and they're all honorable. That is so, so, so good. And uh, yeah, we've got a service missionary in our ward and, and it is inspiring to see the work that he's doing. He's a, a, a very good young man and, um, really a credit to this kind of uh, effort. And it's, so it's great to think about doubling the number of missionaries, service missionaries in Mexico uh, to give more uh, people this opportunity. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. The one thing I wish they would change, we actually had a service missionary visiting our ward a few weeks ago, and I noticed the tag looked like a regular missionary tag, a regular quote-unquote missionary tag, but then in smaller text under their name, it said service missionary. Now, I think that's a fine identifier, but when we do things like that, it still implies that the regular the regular tag is like mm-hmm. the missionary tag for those missionaries, and the other ones require a little addendum to indicate what right. they are. I think it's like you've got to just have it with no extra identifier, or you have other people's yeah. tags, say, like teaching missionary, proselytizing missionary, whatever it might be. So right. that every different type of mission is appropriately represented so it is equitable for everyone. Otherwise, you're still, there's a little bit of a caste system at play. You got yeah. To- Oh, that's a good, good point. Good point. Thank you. I totally agree. Well, Devin, I totally agree that you're a swell fella. And uh, everyone, <laughs> yeah. if you want to uh, follow Devin on his adventures, he's been really been ramping up his EV channel, his solar living yeah. channel on YouTube, which is my solar trailer of love. It's our solar trailer dot com. It's our solar electric trailer journey on YouTube. And uh, but yeah, it's been a fun thing. You know, uh, one thing I noticed, Jeff, uh, you and I love uh, this this twim thing because uh, you and I our well, episodes okay. are always longer. <laughs> we always talk longer when we do it, which I, I think is great. I hope our guests, uh, you know, our audience doesn't mind. I mean, do have... I love it? I don't know. Do I love it? It's been thirteen years. Yeah, Who knows? Yeah, Who knows what yeah. love is? What is love? Yeah. Baby, don't hurt me. You don't you me. love it. I love it. I'm glad you invite me to help you out. with with this occasionally well i appreciate being on devin it's good to have you on and uh we hope you've enjoyed it folks of course you can support us on patreon if you want to help us keep the lights on in an inflationary world where that is becoming more difficult day in and day out um please go to patreon and uh find us there give it you know become part of the team so please support devin thanks for listening everybody we hope you have a terrific week until we meet again and uh, happy july and all that good stuff we're gonna have pioneer day soon and it'll be our annual i hate pioneer day episode so that's always gonna be <laughs> something to look forward to we'll look forward Anyways, to Kevin, thanks for being here buddy talk to you soon thank you thanks everybody thanks folks for listening to twim and we will catch you on the flip side have a great week bye-bye